four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to America.com. My name is Rich Doc Hayden, and I am with. And here we are. It is April twenty fifth. We are with our friend, our good friend, and two seven brother Matthew Maxwell. Maxwell, how are you doing today? I am. I'm doing outstanding. Oh, good, good, good. That's good to hear. That is good to hear. So. Here we are, we were just talking that there hasn't been a ton of movement over the last week or so in the war in Ukraine, um, and as, as we've been um, you know, doing for the last year plus now, we're going to be talking about Ukraine and what's going on, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on, even though uh, what's going on currently, but we're also going to take some time today and we're going to talk about what what Ukraine has to look forward to after the war, and for that matter, what Russia has to look forward to. What's af- what's going to happen afterwards? You know what I mean. So, um, but before we get into that, let's go ahead. Let's just talk a little bit about um, what happened in the last week. Harp, let me open it up to you. What have you been seeing in the last week? I uh, still still me. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know. Kind of, they usually say no news is good news, but um, yeah. If there is no news, then yeah, maybe something something's brewing, or you know what I'm saying. So yeah, all right, Maxwell. Let me shoot it over to you. What have you seen this last week or so? I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet as far as war in Ukraine's concerned. I think, like Harp said. They're gearing up for the offensive, so right now there's not a lot mm-hmm. to talk about, right? There's just kind of the internal grumblings uh, between the Russian foreign ministry and the Wagner group, so that's that's been pretty much it. Yeah, I'd say the same. I haven't, uh, it, there hasn't been a whole lot in the news, so... Uh, you know, maybe there's a lot going on um, behind the scenes. I, you know, everything I've read is that, uh, you know, everybody's getting ready for this, um, you know, supposed Ukrainian push here in the spring. You know, I've read that it could be decisive. It cannot. I, I don't take too much stock in that either way because um, it could be decisive or it could, you know, this this war. I this war could go on for another three, four, five years. You know what I mean? I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll go another five years, but at the same time, I think that everybody should kind of be, um, you know, prepared and in it for the long haul. So, so with that, I'd like to transition to talking about afterwards. And let me preface this with a, a lot depends. Uh, for well, let me preface this with nobody knows what's going to happen afterwards. This war is still very fluid, very open. Um, even though it looks as if Ukraine has the advantage and has had the advantage for a while, we don't know that that you know may turn out to not be the case. Even if it does turn out to be the case, 
any peace settlement um, could go a very many different ways. So, so basically what I'm saying, we don't know how it's going to end. But to the best of our knowledge, I want to talk about what Ukraine and uh, to a lesser extent Russia can expect after the war. So Maxwell, let me open this up to you. Being a veteran, you know, you served in Iraq, you've, you've deployed, have, have, you, so you deployed uh, two or three times, Maxwell, I forget. Three. Three, okay. So you deployed three times, and, you know, you've come back to the U.S., and, you know, the, the, you, the U.S. after Iraq is completely different than uh, Ukraine after the war. The country's going to be leveled. But what are some of the things that, um, you know, uh, veterans of, the Ukrainian army veterans are going to be experiencing and, you know, what are some things that you think they're going to be going through? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting point because in the past we've talked about the Russians and we kind of have an idea what they will go through based off of the Zinke Boys book about Afghanistan. Ukrainians, I mean, they got they have the backing of the world because they're in the middle of the fight with the Russians. But what happens when it's all over, right? And hopefully, it, it means victory. But when when the ticker tape parades and all the shit's done, like they're going to be left with their thoughts and the horrors of war. Like the Ukrainians have lost a hundred thousand troops, as many as the Russians. So it hasn't been easy, especially these guys. In Bakhmut, the guys that were in Maripol that were just fought until they had nothing left. You know, it's, it's horrific. Like, obviously, war is not pretty. Uh, and it's a freaking nightmare. And they, these guys live it every day. And right now, the blood's pumping, and they got to do what they got to do. The fight's on. But when it's over, you know, that's that's when your memories and all this shit's gonna come back to haunt you because you know it's just like when you're in a fight, it's you're training, all that other shit takes over, and you do what you have to do. But when you're left with your own thoughts and you go back to a somewhat normal world, now you know this is fought on their own soil. So there's the reconstruction thing. That picture might look a lot different than our picture, right? Because when we came back, America was America like it always had been, right? Like, America was at the mall when we were at war, so. Mm -hmm. What we came back to was so stark different from what we experienced that it, it was almost like these guys have been going high octane the entire time. And when it all ends and they try to go back to normal, it's going to be a tough adjustment, right? Because you've been going a thousand miles an hour and now you just hit the brakes. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Let me, uh, Harp, let me open it up to you. What What do you think these guys are going to have to be dealing with? I mean, I, I think it's all going to blow down on who wins the war. Mm. I think you know, if Russia wins, it's going to be really, really different for the Ukrainians. Uh, and not, not just necessarily the ones who are actually fighting. 
definitely. give you a couple of scenarios first let's just say that it's an um, unconditional win for the ukrainians they push the russians back they keep all of their territory and um even uh well we won't they don't get crimea back but they basically push the russians out and go back to where they were um last february how do you think that it's going to affect the um uh you know the russian veteran excuse me, excuse me the ukrainian veterans Definitely, definitely. So, you know, I Harp, I'm gonna have to uh, uh, agree with you too. Uh, in in one sense, that it is going a lot is going to um, depend on who wins. And if it is, <clears throat> first of all, there, there's going to be this. I mean, the whole everybody in Ukraine, everyone from top to bottom, has been affected by this war in one way or another. And there's going to be trauma across the scale, but depending on how it turns out, I think is going to affect sort of the long-term uh, mental health and other prospects of the Ukrainians. So let's, I'll just give a couple of scenarios. So if, in that scenario, let's say, let's say they win and they take back Crimea. Uh, I think that victory and victory in a righteous cause, and there's nothing more righteous than defending your homeland against, you know, nakedly aggressive um, invaders, I think that, yes, they're going to deal with um, a lot of, you know, PTSD and, and a lot of these other issues that we face, but it's going to be a bit different. They're going to, at the end of the day, they're going to be able to, or most of them, not everyone, but most of them are going to be able to pretty much sleep uh, uh, easy with this war in the bigger term, in the sense that, like, they had to do what they had to do. And I kind of, to put this in a perspective for uh, Americans, you know, the World War II generation, the World War II was horrific. And, um, you know, uh, everybody who fought, not just Americans, everybody who fought saw horrible, horrible shit and had to do horrible stuff. But, um, you know, from the, from the American perspective, we went over, we did what we had to do, the vets came back, but they, they beat back Hitler and they beat back the Japanese, who were both, you know, fascist regimes. Hitler was a fascist and a genocide. Uh, 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 Germany was a fascist and a genocidal regime. Um, uh, Japan was a, uh, you know, fascist regime that um, had, you know, raped and pillaged throughout Asia. It wasn't genocidal in the same way that um, the Nazis were. But um, basically, we were, you know, we fought a good cause and beat back the... Um, 
the Nazis. So the World War II generation, now, when they got back, of course, they had well, what we now call PTSD, a lot of trauma, but they all, um, the, 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 there was a, a shared sense of we did what we had to do and the sacrifice was worth it. And I think it was uh, mentally, a, a, in some respects, a lot easier for them than now. For example, the Vietnam guys, you know, Vietnam was not heralded uh, as a good war. You know, there was a lot of disillusion with it over there. Uh, the veterans who came back were basically treated like shit. And, um, you know, and now also there, there's uh, mental health um, started to, uh, uh, you know, med- mental health care practitioners and, the, you know, the medical community in general started to recognize PTSD as a condition after Vietnam. So I, I do think that a lot of it when I'm diagnosed with a lot of World War II veterans, but I, I, I do still think um, the, that is the, the, um, the dynamic is the same. You know, so Vietnam was not a popular war, so they, they came back and, um, you know, they, these guys were all messed up and had all sorts of problems. And, you know, we're kind of, the post-9-11 guys are kind of in the middle. It's a little bit, it's a little different for us because we had September 11th and we had, um, uh, uh, you know, a couple of terrorist attacks on U.S. soil, and you know the uh, country stood behind us. I still actually one of the things I'm I I have to say I'm very happy about is like the, the you know uh, the U.S. population in general. I do think uh, supported us um, certainly much 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 more than uh, it did the Vietnam veterans. But overall, I think that we were pretty warmly um, accepted by uh, you know by uh, Americans. Um, but you know. Afghanistan ended horribly. Um, the Taliban, it's, you know, retook control. And Iraq ended, um, it never quite ended, but it, it, it kind of ended. And it ended, you know, I mean, ISIS ended up taking over. Iraq's still a bad case. So we certainly didn't win those two wars. So, you know, we're kind of in the middle. But I guess with the Ukrainians, they're going to be able to, assuming they win, assuming they win, they're going to be able to... Um, you know, look back on this and um, you know be proud that they stepped up and did what they had to do. Maxwell, what do you what do you think about? I said a lot. What do you think about that? Well, you know, one of the questions I have, you know, they got these guys are getting a lot of support from NATO and from us because you know we're fighting the Russians, right? And not and when I say this next part, I'm not expecting that we do it. But, I mean, you get a lot of support and munitions and tell support and all this shit to fight a war. But then when the war is over mm. and you need that mental health situation, you know, is that going to be there for them? And, and, and I want to reiterate that I'm not expecting the U.S. be the people to do it. But will Ukraine understand the situation they have on their hand and put the resources to, you know, having services for these guys that have been through all this shit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a, they'll have a decision to make and hopefully they make the right decision. Yeah. You know, do they have, the, do they have the resources? Now, I saw an article early on that they had counselors and shit for children dealing with the traumas of being caught in a war zone. Mm. So, I mean, the fact that they're addressing that kind of makes it like, all right, well, you know, 
there's a good possibility. You know, I can't really say, but hopefully that that country understands that they're going to have this huge thing that they're going to have to deal with, going to have to address. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in a way, the fact that the whole country was involved is almost will almost be well, well one let me say it like this one of the beneficial aspects afterwards of having the whole country involved is that it did affect everybody and everybody is going to uh, all Ukrainians are going to uh, partake in the rebuilding and what comes next it's not like it's just going to be a small segment of people that were affected you know what I mean and and I think when you have um, you know, like huge community buy-in like that, in a way it's easier. Um, I, you know, I, I will say really quick, I want, I, want, I want to get Harp's take on this too, but, but I just want to say real quick, I actually visited Vietnam in 2014. And I was only there for a week and a half, so I, and, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't do a deep dive. Um, but, you know, after the war, they... Um, they, I mean, they bounced back. It took, it took a while. It, it took time, and there were some, there were certainly a lot of, um, yeah, some oppression, some political issues, and a lot of stuff that they had to work through unifying North and South Vietnam. But eventually, the country did bounce back, and we actually now have an excellent relationship with Vietnam, which is uh, it, it kind of ironic, but but at the same time wonderful. And um, you know, I, I, I would one of the things I would actually love to. Uh, further explore is how um, they healed uh, afterwards, and and one of it was you know one one part of it they were fighting for their independence. They were fighting the French, and they were fighting us. And finally, they kicked everybody out and got their country back. So they put a you know a giant W on the board, and I think that has a lot to do with it. But um, you know, uh, there there no history uh, or either no or to my knowledge no. But if I can certainly say little to no history of, you know, Western mental health, um, uh, uh, me- mental health treatment in uh, Asia, and certainly not in Vietnam. So um, I'm curious as to how they did it. But, um, but Harp, let me, let me open it up to you. So, like, uh, you know, in that situation, in, um, you know, uh, here, actually, I'm going to say this. Hearing what, you know, Maxwell and I have been saying, I mean, like, you know, what is your prognosis for them uh, going forward, uh, you know, uh, if they win, or or what they're gonna need to do, regardless of the what they um, of whether or not they win, uh, when this is all over. Man, I'm not too uh, swift on the geographics of Ukraine. Like I don't know how they're are they broken up into like regions or do they have states? You know, like we do. I you know I do not know. I do not know. So I mean I'm hoping. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. All right, all right, now I want to go give you guys another scenario. And Maxwell, we'll start with you. Let's say Russia does prevail, and let's say that they go ahead and they, um, I don't know about ultimate victory, but let's say, let's say they, they claim the eastern half and there's a, uh, no, 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 let's, let's, Never mind. Let's go ahead. Let's talk about ultimate victory. We'll talk about something in the middle afterwards. But let's just say somehow the Russians um, prevail in this. They take over the whole of Ukraine according to their um, initial war plans. What do you think the Ukrainians have to do after that? Well, they're definitely fighting an insurgency after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, like, there's no way with everything that's happened with the kill like mass graves the freaking shit with the Wagner group recently like killing kids and shit there's no rollover die like if, if, if they if there's a freaking if the Russians overtake them which I highly doubt they're they're moving to an insurgency because they will remove the Russians one way or another. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I actually agree with that. And, you know, as soon as I heard, started hearing you speak, I think that the, if, if the Russians do, were to somehow prevail and conquer the entire country and, you know, decapitate the government, install their own puppet government, the war will just continue by other means. And, yes, it will turn into an insurgency that, that really just won't end until the Russians uh, leave. Uh, you know, I will give you another one, though, Maxwell, and this is, I think that this is very likely. Let's say that there's sort of a hybrid where, um, I'll give you, let's give you a scenario, a very possible hypothetical. The um, spring offensive uh, by the Ukrainians uh, is successful, however, it does not completely uh, dislodge the Russians or remove their, remove them from their position. So, and at the end, we'll say, I'll say six months from now, so September, October-ish, um, both sides are very depleted, and they're just out of exhaustion, decide to come to the bargaining table. And after um, negotiations, the, the Ukraine gives uh, two or th- Ukraine gives Russia two or three regions in the east for a ceasefire, and a very loose map is drawn. Um, what do you think? What do you think happens there afterwards? That's interesting because the first question is like, how long is it until the Russians decide that they want more, right? Mm-hmm. And go back on it. Then I would also think that there would be some sort of clandestine action, maybe not as much as an insurgency, or maybe. There is still some insurgency that's third party, right? Not not the agreed upon government to government situation, but a third party that gets involved and continues the fight, right? So, I mean, they had that situation after 2014. Uh, 
in the east with the two uh, two regions that had you know partisan fighting going on. I would say that continues. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I I think that that situation that I laid out would. Uh, I I agree. I think there would be a. Um, I actually I do think that there would be an insurgency, per not perhaps not uh, early on, but uh, uh, you know it, after this piece is established, a few months afterwards, you'll start to see some sabotage and some it's, it's, uh, insurgent attacks. But I I think what that would do that in some ways would be the worst outcome for global peace because the areas that are occupied would be a basically a permanent hot zone. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. constantly in dispute and constantly, um, uh, 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 constantly, you know, potential for a larger conflict to erupt there. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, unfortunately, we, one of the scenarios that I do kind of see playing out is that Russia, uh, short of a, it was, at some point, again, I'm sorry, let me, let me say that again. One of the scenarios that I could potentially see happening is um, both sides get to the point of you know exhaustion the Ukrainians real both, both sides realize they can't uh, realize their goals and eventually um, Zelensky is forced to come to the table and has to make some concession to end the war and uh, seeds a small territory and it's enough for Putin and the Russians to say that they got something out of it and for uh, the Ukrainians to say that we want we want to end this war, we want it to be done so we're just going to, you know, hand this piece, whatever piece of land it is, over and be done with it. And I think that will set up a very a potentially a very, very long um, period of hostility and potentially protracted. It'll, it'll be like, it'll turn into kind of the West Bank or the Gaza Strip in Israel that are just always, always, always um, just always activity, always um, just always arguing over it. You know what I mean? So um, that would be a very, very undesirable outcome. So yeah, but, like I said, it's been going since 2014 before the, before the invasion. Right, mm-hmm. so if you think about that. It's a long time. That's years. Yeah, this has been going on. And I would also say, Zelensky is very different than most politicians that we've seen in the you know the twenty first century. Like we didn't get out of Iraq. Or, well, Iraq too. And Afghanistan, uh, not because of our resolve, it's because defense contracting companies made a lot of money, and nobody had the fucking brains to know how to pull out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we, didn't, we, we weren't sticking it out because, like, we have the resolve to go until there's total victory. I think it was, we had no idea how to get out of our own mess. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why we did get out. It wasn't, but this, you know, it's like Harp has said in the past. These people are fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their name. They're fighting for their land. There's nowhere to go, right? Mm-hmm. Like, fucking, 
we didn't have the same vested interest in these wars that we were fighting. When we got fucking Osama bin Laden, like, we should have fucking rolled up the flag and left then, right? Like, okay, we yeah. accomplished the mission. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, they didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. And the and we're gonna we're gonna turn attention to the Russians in a minute, but the Russians, um, I, I think that there's, if I had to guess, I think there's one guy in Russia who wants to keep going to total victory, and everybody else would would prefer to just get up and leave, um, but this one guy, it just happens to be the guy in power. So, um, uh, yeah, but the um, but yeah, it's 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 over the long term. I absolutely think that Ukraine has the advantage because, yeah, you know, coming back to what Harp said too, and Maxwell, you're right, is you know it's they're defending their homeland, so you know over even even if it turns into a generational thing, like in conflicts all around the world, you know, Ireland was occupied by England for I don't know the exact amount, but at least a hundred, two hundred years or so. And, you know, eventually in Northern Ireland, you know, the Irish Republican Army and there was um, uh, an insurgency was fought. Um, Vietnam's another great, um, great example. Like, you know, um, the U.S. saw what we were doing as, um, you know, an anti-communist action. The Vietnamese saw their war as, you know, liberating the homeland, uh, you know, first from the uh, colonial French and then from us. Uh, let me see where else. Um, the, uh, 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 the, every war where you have an occupier um, in another country, the long-term advantage goes to the occupied. And, um, you know, in, uh, in, I actually, this week I just, I went down a little rabbit hole um, and I read about uh, Genghis Khan and the Mongols. And, uh, you know, they had this sort of 100, 100, 100 150 year period where they just went and just invaded basically everywhere from China all the way into like Eastern Europe, and then it just it fell apart after 150 years because the, um, the the tribes just couldn't stay together, and uh, you know all the previous cultures that they had invaded basically came back to life. You know some more damaged than others, but um, you know threw off the the shackles of the Mongol Empire and carried on. So yeah, so. Let's go ahead and let's switch it a little bit and let's turn our attention to Russia after the war. And I think I think Russia's a little more what's gonna happen in Russia afterwards is a little more clear cut. But um Harp, let me go ahead and uh open this up to you. Let's say let's say the Russians I actually I actually think that the the result uh, whether uh, or you know what's going to happen in Russia whether regardless of whether they win or lose is pretty much going to be the same. But Harp, let me ask you this: win, lose, or draw, what do you think is going to happen in Russia, and will there be any difference depending on whether they win or lose? I mean, I, if they win, I don't think it's done. Very uh, I mean, if they lose, they're going to have a little. Uh, Somebody, third party, whether it's a third party government or somebody 
everybody's going to have to make make sure they apply by the, the treaty, which I doubt they're going to. Mm. Mm. All right. So I think it's a winner bus for us. Yeah. All right. Maxwell, let me open it up to you. Kind of similar question, you know, what do you think will happen to the Russian veterans um, after the war? And do you think that that would change whether they win or lose? Well, I think uh, that's an interesting question. Because I kind of bank on the fact that they lose or withdraw like they did in Afghanistan. I think the same thing is going to happen. It's going to be an embarrassment to the new Soviet empire and they're going to try to bury it mm-hmm. and they'll be, they'll be forgotten. If they were to win, they probably won't want to hear their individual problems, the PTSD and shit like that. That will get swept under the rug, mm-hmm. not dealt with. Uh, they'll have, you know, May Day parades and shit like that. And it'll be all pomp and circumstance and, and basically propaganda. So, uh, you know, on a larger scale, you know, it might, uh, I could see regime change happening, meaning like Putin's on his way out, he's health failing anyhow. Does it change for the better and they like start back towards democracy again? Uh, probably not. There's, enough rich people in freaking Russia who wanted the same thing Putin wanted and uh, it'll be more of the same but if they were to lose this thing I think it would be a a long while before they fucking try something like that again yeah so you know This is this is one of those things that I think, actually, I think superficially, whether Russia wins or lo- if, if 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 Russia wins or loses, superficially there will be some differences. I actually, I, I certainly agree with you that like if they lose, they're just going to try to bury it and just forget that it ever happened and just erase it from the you know Russian collective memory as much as possible. Nobody talks about Afghanistan and Russia anymore um, politically. If they win, you're right. There's going to be, um, you know, parades, uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance. But whether they win or lose, at the yeah, at the um, individual level, at the veteran level, I think it's basically going to be exactly the same. There's yeah, there's not going to be any sort of mental health treatment or any sort of um, you know, like the equivalent of the VA just doesn't exist in Russia. Um, the the military, if they lose, the military might change, but again, it might, it, it might change to become a bit more lethal and a bit more effective. It's not going to change to become more humane or there's going to be no VA in Russia. There's no, you know, they're not going to try to create a more humane or, uh, you know, uh, competent military. They'll try to make a more lethal military, but certainly not a, not a, overall better military and I don't think it's going to change much in uh, uh, it might change some things in Russian society but I, I don't think that it's going to change as much as um, certainly not as much as uh, you know Iraq and Afghanistan or, or Vietnam Vietnam radically changed American society uh, so I, I think you know even it's it's 
I I don't want to say I'm sympathetic to the the Russian veterans, but the truth of the matter is is they're pretty much going to have long, shitty lives after this. Uh, feeling if they lose, they're absolutely going to live an embittered life and and you know f- feel like they lost. If they um uh, if they do win, it's still they're not going to be recognized by the country or get the help that they need, um, and. It's just not. It's not going to be a, a good story in the way that World War a good national story in the way that World War Two was. It could. I could see that. I could see it potentially. You know, Russian people are. Um, you know, veterans potentially become angry and and just as in you know World War Two was started by a group of embittered um, German World War One veterans. I could see. Um, you know, anger and resentment and hostility building and, and becoming a very negative force in um, world politics. But, like, as far as, like, you know, uh, Russian veterans getting getting treatment or, or, or you know, uh, otherwise healing in a way that they will need to after this, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that it's, it's going to be... Um, I think that they've got a long, shitty road ahead of them. So, you know, so... You know, it is, it is a, this is a tragedy, not nearly as bad for the Russians as the Ukrainians, but still, this is a tragedy for the Russian people as well. Um, they have a shitty leader, a terrible leader, who launched them into this very unnecessary war and uh, ended up losing the lives of, so far, about 100,000 of them, and it's going to continue to grow until um, he sees the light, which he's not, so. So, so, um... Yeah, so that's kind of what uh, <laughs> what comes after. Any more? Do you guys have any more thoughts on that? I, I was gonna say, if, if, if you see Russia losing, if you see them teaming up with other uh, kind of countries who are kind of like Russia, just to, to help them push their agenda, they couldn't push their own. I'm sorry. Maybe like Chinese in the uh, Pacific. I mean, the Russians have start, done naval exercises with them recently. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. Like, can you see Russia if they don't if they, if they don't come out victorious? Can you see them moving more into that? I think so. I think I th- well, yes. The short answer is yes. Um, how much they're going to be able to. Um, uh, to commit, you know, to, uh, uh, let's just, let's, you know, talk about the elephant in the room, like uh, China and Taiwan. Let's say, for argument's sake, um, let's say Russia, Russia loses and China goes on to invade Taiwan three or four years from now. Um, Russia will certainly give diplomatic support um, in the UN and um, uh, support um, China uh, the way that... Um, China has supported Russia. Whether they will lend troops or material, I, I think a lot of that depends on what they have left, frankly. You know what I mean? Because they might not be able to. Maxwell, what do you say about that? Uh, that is interesting. Because, uh, yeah, and, and I agree, like, their ability to support will be different, but they'll definitely back them up. Mm-hmm. I just read earlier that the... Prime Minister, President of the Czech Republic said that China has no desire to see the Russia-Ukraine thing end swiftly because they, because 
Russia will be dependent upon China, and China will use that to their advantage. China wants to stake claim in the Arctic. They want to stake claim in the Pacific. Well, they do stake claim in the Pacific. Mm. But it's going to be, I've scratched your back, now you scratch my type of thing uh, as far as that's concerned. But, you know, and what the Czech leader was saying is, you know, the with the Russians dwindling resources and such, they're going to rely on China to make up for that munitions and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's that. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I've, you know, I've heard uh, very, very many. I've read, you know, a bunch of things about um, how what China would like out of Russia and how how powerful. China would like Russia to be because it wants it to be powerful enough to you know assist them in whatever future military endeavors it does uh, take, but they don't want them to be too powerful that they can um, you know override the Chinese. China always wants Russia as a junior partner, and um, you know basically oh, almost not not quite um, in the way that England is always a junior partner to us, but um, you know basically uh, you know wants them to. Support China wants Russia to support it the way it has supported uh, Russia during um, this war in Ukraine, and perhaps with a little bit more. I mean, it will want you know munitions and uh, intelligence and all of the other things that the Russian army is still pretty good at. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, um, yeah, that is definitely going to be interesting. So, um, yeah, yeah. I guess to to close it out, let's just have a. Just a quick, um, quick little discussion about China because I think that that is sort of where the the the, the next sort of um, winds of war kind of go. And and Maxwell, I'll open this up to you first. What do you think the uh, What do you think the Chinese are seeing? And do you think that Russia's troubles in Ukraine increase or decrease the chances of an invasion in Taiwan? Oh. You know, I just don't know that I have that answer. Mm. Like, it's interesting because the Chinese just recently did naval exercises, and that kind of like left their forces' positions still around Taiwan. So that's been kind of alarming. Uh, but as far as uh, you know, where where the, this thing began. The Chinese weren't really saying anything, but the more this goes on, they, they seem to be backing Russia, right? And uh, which is crazy because if, as it gets more and more unpopular, the Chinese are backing them up now, where as before they didn't say shit. So, you know, I, I saw an article earlier that, that was written by General Allen, who is the best, the MNF West commander when we were in the country the second time around, that said our, basically like our sphere of influence, our deterrence, the U.S. military's deterrence is fading. And, you know, as China's growing their military, because... You know, China in the eighties, they had a lot of, they had a lot of troops, but they didn't. 
their hardware was archaic. Yes, they had nukes, but like land army, like it's like, yeah, you got the numbers, but mm-hmm. you didn't have the you didn't have the weapon technology that we had, none of that shit. But now they're starting to have that, right? As they encroach more and more into the Pacific, uh, and hell, not just the Pacific, but around the world with the Belt and Road Initiative, like they're really a stable really the, the superpower to keep the eye on more than the Russians. Mm-hmm. The Russians mm-hmm. have proven that. But it's one of those things like we we have kind of eroded our ability to really uh, make an impact, right? Like when a freaking U.S. Navy freaking carrier strike force would pull up off the coast of you, you knew you fucked up, right? And it and it had a lot of weight, but as these other militaries gained like more of a global presence, just as much as we were, like the the Russian Navy had done that. The Russian Navy had they established, you know, naval bases outside their borders in Egypt and Pakistan, similar to what we have around the world, right? So, like other militaries. The Russian Navy's doing it, the Chinese Navy's expanding, and, and, and their militaries as a whole, and their global presence, you know, the Russians are in Syria, the Russians are in West Africa, like, we are, it's, our, us as a deterrence is waning, and, you know, maybe China sees as that, like, yeah, they, they're not winning, but. They're not losing either. It's kind of a stalemate. Both sides have freaking lost a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, if they have designs on Taiwan, and they and whereas before I would think that I, I don't think that we'll see it. I don't think that it's worth it, it's worth uh, them pursuing. But maybe it is. Maybe you know, like they invade Taiwan, and we're going to be like, well. You know, kind of like it is with Russia. Like, we don't want to get directly involved. And Hart's talked about this before. Like, we'll give them intel support. We're providing them weapons. It's clear we're supporting them, but we're not going to put troops on the ground. And it might be the same case in fucking Taiwan. Mm -hmm. For the same reason, it's a superpower that has nukes. And we don't want to push, we don't want to push it too far. And maybe the Chinese calculate that. The U.S. isn't going to do shit because they'll be afraid of the fucking nuke option. Yep. All right, all right. Harp, same question to you. Do you think that the invasion, or how poorly the Russian invasion of Ukraine has gone, um, has given China any pause regarding their plans in Taiwan, or do you think that they're still still going to do it? No, I think they're just going to keep playing bullet. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm playing on the trigger sometimes. Uh, they may just, like, like I said, keep, keep bullying them until they, until they submit. Uh, like you said, then we're not going to do anything. They're going to say they're going to say the new bird. I don't think we would do anything except what we're doing in Ukraine, given 
give Dale support and maybe throwing him some, some weapons. Mm-hmm. Oh, the 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 yeah, they do. They 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 have a, like a the a Chinese secret police operating out of New York City and and basically terrorizing Chinese dissidents. Yeah, it's crazy. I read about that. They they have them all over the world. They have one in some in Italy. They have a bunch in Europe. It's crazy. They have a bunch yeah, that's here. A, that's how they bully. That's how they bully Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, I, I kind of, where I fall on this is I think that, uh, I, I definitely do think that China seeing Russia um, falter in Ukraine has certainly given them pause. I don't think that it has... Um, uh, stopped their desire to eventually uh, reclaim Taiwan and by force if necessary. But I definitely do think that it's made them pump the brakes a little bit and reassess their position, which ultimately might make them a bit more of a fearsome foe if they um, take a little more time, you know, develop different weapon systems, develop different tactics, and essentially, you know, plan better for it. Um, uh, So, but I think, you know, so the thing that I think with China, I think that where China's long-term weakness globally in the big picture is, Harp, you said it right, I think at its heart, China is a bully. And I think that the countries don't entirely recognize, some countries do, the U.S. recognizes it, like Japan, South Korea, countries in you know, Asia and in the region certainly recognize it, but you know, other countries around the world don't entirely recognize it, and I'm thinking specifically of um, Europe. And um, I think that ultimately China is a bully, and I think that what they're... they're um, Real quickly, so since the end of the Cold War, the idea of um, uh, uh, global economic um, interdependence will help deter, you know, conflict because we ha- we are since we're so economically interdependent, nobody's going to want to um, you know destroy anybody else because economically it would hurt us so bad. And I think that so far that has proven to be true and proven to be very effective. But what I think that China is kind of um, banking on, and I, I think a little, they, they see us a little bit less with the U.S., but more with like Europe, um, Japan, South Korea, and other countries where they have um, really deep um, uh, trade ties, but don't have um, uh, uh, excuse me, countries that they have deep trade ties with, but countries that don't necessarily have military strong militaries the way that we do. Is that uh, that they that they since they are so large. Uh, economically, that when they do decide to throw their weight around, these countries aren't going to be able to, or be able or willing to resist because they're so dependent on China. And I think that that is actually a miscalculation. And I think that um, the way that Europe did um, disconnect from Russia, so the U.S. will certainly, if, if, if China ever invades Taiwan, 
the U.S. will certainly begin to decouple. Well, accelerate. We're already starting to decouple from China, but that's going to accelerate. I think eventually Europe's going to come on board. I think that the countries like Japan, South Korea, and possibly even the Philippines will start to uh, disconnect and um, will beef up their own militaries. So I think that China is in kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation with Taiwan. They've been uh, hyping it up uh, domestically for so, so, so long that they're going to have to do something. But at the same time, the moment that they do do something, they're going to um, they're going to lose the rest of the world. When we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan, or you know, Afghanistan and Iraq in 2001 and 2003, the rest of the world kind of shrugged and couldn't really do much about it, you know what I mean? Because, again, everybody was so economically interdependent on the U.S., and I think China sort of thinks something similar will happen should they invade Taiwan. But again, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, and the last thing, I'll, the last point I'll make with that is the reason I don't think that's the case. Right now, the U.S. has a a very severe trade deficit, and a one of our biggest disadvantages vis-a-vis China is that. Um, so much of our manufacturing and our critical manufacturing has moved to China you know, since the 80s. Some of it is starting to come back, but a lot of it is over there. So if the war, if war between China and the U.S. were to start today, we would have an initial advantage out the gate, but over the long term, they have a much larger industrial base than we do and basically can just turn out weapons in a way that we cannot at this moment. However... At the outset of World War II, we were in a uh, similar position. That's not a perfect, not a perfect um, comparison, but the German war machine had been ramping up and had been um, uh, really gearing up for the last for the three or four years previously in a way that the U.S., Great Britain, France um, had not. And at the outset of World War II, it took us a little while, but eventually we did you know, multiply our industrial capabilities uh, exponentially. And basically, um, yeah, so it became the arsenal for democracy. We, out, you know, we, we, uh, uh, um, we outfitted the rest of the, uh, the allies um, with weapons and we eventually defeated the, um, defeated the Nazis. And I think something similar um, will happen here um, in the U.S. should we ever go to, um, or should Taiwan ever get invaded. So, and then also these countries... Countries like Australia that um, that China gets a lot of its natural resources from, countries in Europe that they get a lot of capital from will start to um, withdraw as well. So, that I've been, so I'm running in my mouth, but that's kind of what I foresee happening. Uh, uh, and I think over the long term, uh, should China invade Taiwan and should a larger war break out, assuming we don't all kill each other with nukes, which is, which is a distinct possibility if we do go to war with China. But assuming that doesn't happen, I think over the long term, the, the U.S. and the countries that are aligned with um, uh, the West uh, will prevail uh, because um, uh, China just is, is a, <laughs> China is a bully, and, um, and I don't think that they can create, get the support that they want. So, so. Thank you guys so much for listening to me rant about that. We are at the end of the episode. Maxwell, final thoughts? Man, I just have to say, uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you guys. 
All right. Thank you. Always love talking to you, too. <laughs> Harp, final thought? I think we said it all. And you know what? I always have a final thought, but I just ran my trap about China for about five minutes. So that's it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Maxwell, thank you. Thank you. Harpo, thank you. Come in. All right, everybody. We love you all. We love talking to you. Hope you have a great week, and we will see you next week.